Welcome to Top Shelf Podcast. I'm Jimmy Haskup, and with me, Kevin. Is It's been a long time. Is Kevin Allen, NHL columnist for USA Today. Kevin, how's, how's the uh, tan coming along? Oh, it's going great, but, uh, you know, as soon as we get uh, this close to September, I start to kind of smell the uh, start of the season. I'm ready to go. Let's let's go at it. Yeah, it's been a while, so I figure uh, we'll, we'll catch up a little bit on the off-season happenings here, and uh, I, don't, I think you're going to introduce a special guest here because, and perfect timing for how active they've been this off-season. Absolutely. Our, our special guest is Rick Carpinello, whose uh, coverage of the NHL dates back to the late 1970s. He's now the uh, New York Rangers beat writer for the Journal News and Bergen Record. Uh, kind of a new member of the, uh, but an old member as well, of the Gannett family. You'll hear him uh, this season on the uh, our podcast uh, uh, as often as we can get him on. But we're going to start out with uh, Rick Carpinello talking a little bit about uh, the Jimmy Vesey situation. I, I think, uh, you know, the Rangers were always listed among the teams that had a shot at bringing Jimmy VC uh, in as a uh, as a free agent, but I'm not sure that people really considered them uh, a front runner. And yet, when the decision was finally made, it is the Rangers uh, that uh, now have them. And uh, Rick, were you surprised a little bit that they got him, or did you think all along they had a real good shot at getting him? I, I thought they were a long shot, honestly, Kevin. And, and I thought, you know. As we went into it, we kept hearing the Rangers in Chicago uh, as we came into you know Wednesday and Thursday of last week, and I was still uh, still still in my doubts that he would pick the Rangers. But you know they did they did a fabulous job uh, recruiting him, and um, yeah, I, I was a little surprised by the by the decision. And uh, VC wasn't really clear on uh, what tipped the scales, but I, you know they must have done a great job, and they do. They always do. A, term- a tremendous job of selling uh, their tradition, uh, New York City and the Garden and and all those things. And I imagine that, that they also sold them on, on the team that they have. Uh, I got to ask you, what does this say about Gordon? I mean, uh, this is the guy in his second summer, but his first real off season as general manager, you know, of the Rangers. And, uh, you know, it looks like he's had a pretty good summer. And, you know, should we give him credit for being sort of the lead recruiter on this? I think so. You know, I think in this specific case, uh, it was a combination of of Jeff uh, doing the great recruiting and then also uh, the involvement of uh, Alain Vigneault. um, He he, uh, told VC and convinced him that they had a good thing going here and that that they play a style of hockey that will fit his game. And then on top of that, they had uh, Chris Drury, who's uh, director of player personnel, and um, you know he he was really instrumental. Uh, they share an agent, and, and Drury is a former Hobie Baker winner from you know, who grew up in in Boston as a collegiate player, and uh, you know I think there was an affinity there, uh, and both uh, Gordon and VC said that Drury was instrumental. So yeah, I think it was a big team effort there. Um, they they really did a great job. They really sold him uh, on a lot of things uh, about New York and. Uh, they ended up winning, and, and yeah, and again, I'm surprised by it. I got, I got. To, let me just want to ask yep. one final about the, uh, you know, the Penguins could offer Sidney Crosby as a line mate. The Sabers could offer Jack Eichel. The Blackhawks could offer Jonathan Taves as a guy who could play with VC. What did the Rangers say? How, how did they see him fitting into the the Rangers mix? Yeah, that, I mean that's the thing. That's why I was surprised. Is that you know if, if you wanted to, the Rangers aren't rebuilding, but they're but they're retooling a bit here, um, and I, I don't know how they sold that over Jonathan Taves or Sidney Crosby. 
um, and and the hometown Bruins, of course. And of course, you know, we thought that there was certainly a chance throughout the summer that he would just stay in Buffalo with Eichel. Uh, so whatever they did, uh, it, you know, it worked. And, and going back to Gordon, uh, he has done it. He's done a lot of work this summer. Um, the Rangers have gotten younger. They've gotten faster. He's pretty much everybody he's brought in, and now we hear he's bringing in Brandon Peary today. Uh, pretty much everybody he's brought in uh, has some penalty-killing experience. You know, I don't know to what levels, they, but the Rangers' uh, weakest link last year was their penalty kill. Uh, but he's brought in uh, Mika Zibanejad this season for Derek Broussard. That was a pretty big trade. Uh, he's made some, uh, you might call, minor signings in free agency uh, with Michael Grabner and Nathan Gerbey, and, and he traded for Nick Holden, who's a defenseman who kills penalties. So uh, the Rangers are going to have a pretty considerable uh, change in their look this season. So uh, And Gordon... Uh, you know, he's been, although this is only his first year and a couple of months, um, he's been involved in the decision-making at the Rangers with the Rangers for a long time now. And uh, people forget also that he was in a, the interim GM uh, in Boston yeah, back in 2006, I believe it was. And he kind of helped build that uh, that Stanley Cup team when he got Kessel and Lucic and he and Rask and Marchand and Chara. Um, so, you know, he's not new to the game. Um, he's new to uh, holding the top seat at the Rangers, but we knew that he's a smart guy and that he knows what he's doing, and he seems to have a really good plan this summer. Rick, I guess one of the big elephants in the room for the Rangers is you look at this team, the forward group now has gotten pretty young. Rick Nash might be the oldest guy in that group, and he's only 32 years old, but they're yeah. still maybe a little short on defense, especially if you look at it, you know, if you compare it to last season, it's basically the same unit aside from adding Holden and maybe in a full year from someone like Brady Shea. Is Rick Nash on this team for the entire season, or do you see them moving him? I think that's a, that's a great question. I thought they would try to move him this summer, and they may have. Um, and let's face it, they even if even if uh, they agree with that idea, uh, they, they need to move Nash um, and his salary. They they're really short on top three top line players. Uh, you know, he's the, he is obviously still their best forward, and it's and it's not. I don't even think it's close. I mean, Derek Stepan's next, and. He's not a star type player. He's a real good player. Um, so whether they can, whether they think they can afford to go through a season without a guy like that, uh, remains to be seen. But uh, I'm sure they would like to, uh, you know, get that salary cap, uh, that that cap hit off their books. Um, that 7.8 million is strangling. Uh, I know that you know Rangers fans are not in love with, in love with Nash um, because he's struggled in the playoffs and. Uh, so I thought it was something that they would explore this summer, and I'm not sure that they won't. Uh, and I'm and I'm sure that they they will again if you know if they uh, are that inclined to to do it by the trade deadline. Nash will probably be a guy who could fetch you something at the trade deadline. Kevin, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump in with one more sure. here. Um, speaking of guys, Rangers fans probably aren't too happy with, and I'm sure they tried to see what they could get for him, and I guess either didn't get. The, the requisite value back in offers are just very hard to move because their contracts, Stahl and Girardi, are the two kind of, they've been the linchpins of that defense for a long time. I mean, but the season's here and they're going to be on this team. So, and, and you looked at, you look at last year and the defense really wasn't good last year. So what's to say it's going to be better moving forward? Do you, do you see maybe a, a slight bounce back from these guys? Well, 
you know, I think the hope the hope is that Girardi bounces back to some degree. Um, and it's hard to imagine that he that he could be worse than he was last year. He really struggled, and he was banged up. And I, I think the theory is in some quarters that um, you know all the all the playoff rounds they played for that four year period when they went to the conference finals twice, the finals once, and then played two rounds the other year. Um, and and they also played a lot of seven game series, and he, he played thirty minutes on those on those teams, and of course we know how he plays. Uh, the theory was that he did not re- he never recovered last summer, and at this short playoff season this year, will give him some recovery time and a chance to to play at a at a higher level. That said, you know I think a lot of the sabermetrics people will say he's slipped for quite a while, and this was the bottom. Um, I don't feel the same about Stahl, although he struggled like everybody else on the team at, at a lot of, for a lot of last season. I think there's a real good chance he bounces back. Um, but yeah, they they you know they're stuck with those guys. They're stuck with some big contracts there, and and no move clauses, which is really difficult. I think that if Girardi doesn't have a a bounce back year, then he's bought out next summer. But um, I, I think that you know the hope is that he does come back and. As far as the rest of the defense, you know, they lost Keith Yandel, who, you know, you, you hear both sides of the story with him, that he's not a great defender without the puck, but that he's really good with it. They lost Dan Boyle, who, you know, I thought struggled pretty much his entire Rangers tenure. So, uh, you know, they're going to be different, um, but they are going to have those two guys, and a lot of people are looking at that as a real weakness. Uh, I was going to ask you a little bit about Yandel, too. Uh, you know, it seemed like even though uh, he wasn't there that long, he, he seemed to be pretty important to that group by the end there. And, like, how, how good can their transition game be without Yandel? It's not like all that they have a team full of guys who are uh, superior puck movers. Uh, this is a team that, when they're playing well, are, are uh, defensively, they're, they're pretty good, but they're not, you know, offensive dynamos. Right, and that and that's a, that's a great question, Kevin. They, you know, they they needed Nando in that role. They obviously couldn't afford to keep him with their cap situation. Uh, I'm sure they would have loved to have kept him, but uh, they don't have that guy. That you know, Ryan McDonough is their next best puck mover, and he's coming off a year where he was hot and cold too. Um, so I guess they're hoping that that he and Shea can make him be those guys, but I don't think either one of them is going to be at the level that Yandel was, and especially on the power play. I mean, as bad as their special teams were at times last year, there were also times where their power play was pretty decent, and that was mostly uh, with Yandel at the point. Um, he, he got a lot of points. He moved the puck. He was he was on ice for a lot of goals for, and he's going to be a tough guy to replace. Actually, he's going to be a guy who they probably won't be able to replace. Is this the season we're going to finally get that monster uh, production uh, out of Chris Kreider? I mean, obviously he's big, he's strong, he's got tremendous speed on uh, a huge shot. Um, it, you know, is what we see what we get, or is he, does he still have upside that he's going to find at some point? Well, I think the upside is, is obviously still on the table because you don't get guys with that combination that you just mentioned. He, you know, he's got all of that, and... and to a superlative level. I mean, he's unbelievably strong. He's very, very fast, and the shot is tremendous. But, you know, there is a hockey IQ situation with him that, you know, we don't know about. Uh, He gets lost for games. He disappears for stretches of games. And we don't know, uh, you know, we thought last year was the breakout year. So 
I think there's still hopeful. I wouldn't trade him because you know there's a real good chance he will blossom at some point. And, you know, when he figures it out, he could be, you know, one of the top power forwards in the game. But uh, last year, we all, everybody thought, including Elaine Vigneault and including Kreider, that it would be the bust out year, and it wasn't. Um, but we did see when he was playing the way he's supposed to play, how good he was. Uh, and we saw it late in the year. So uh, to answer your question, <laughs> I don't know, and I don't think anybody knows. But you obviously don't give up quickly on a kid with all that ability. Rick, it seems like last year Kevin Hayes was one of those young players who kind of got into Vigneault's doghouse. And then yeah. and then you see this offseason that potentially, I mean, we don't know for a fact, but you kind of put the pieces together that he was kind of an important piece to get VC to come to New York because they have, both have Boston roots. Like they, I think they practiced together, grew up together. Yeah. Uh, what uh, what do you see from Hayes? And do you think this, uh, you know, I mean, like, clearly the Rangers must view him as part of their future because y- y- you look at what's happened this offseason. It seems like they're trying to get younger. Do you see him kind of taking that next step this year or what? Well, I think so. And I think that, you know, they count on that. Uh, Vigneault spoke very highly of him uh, when the team broke, broke, uh, broke up on uh, a couple of days after the season ended last year. Uh, you know, he's, he's another kid where how many kids that big have that kind of ability and the, and the pair of hands that he's got, uh, so I think that they want him to, but they want him to bust out, and I think they're pretty confident that he will be the player that he was his first year. Um, and again, the sabermetrics people will say that he didn't have a bad year, although I didn't think he had a very good season. Um, but I think with with Hayes, the, he gives the Rangers three lines, three centers, and he's an important guy because Vigneault likes to play all four of his lines. Uh, I don't know if he can play four with the fourth line that they had last year and the four, fourth line they'll have this year. But he wants to play three, and he wants to play those three pretty much spread out in it. So Hayes is a big guy for their for their team this year, um, and I imagine there's a, probably a pretty good chance that he'll play with VC. And I also imagine that Rangers will be thrilled if VC approaches what Kevin Hayes did as a rookie, which was 17 goals and 45 points. But... Uh, you're right. He, he he struggled last year. He had a sophomore slump, but a lot of kids do, and I think they count on him uh, having another bounce back. We all love predictions, so Rick, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, this team had 101 points last year. They lose early in the playoffs to the the eventual Cup winner, uh, Cup winning Penguins. Is this team as constructed now better than it was last season? On paper, I would say no because of the loss of Yandel. Uh, but overall, I would say yes, because I don't anticipate that guys like Nash, Kreider, Hayes, even Stahl, McDonough, will have the kind of season they had last year. I think they'll all be better, should be better, and will be better. I think uh, Zabanajad is a better player or a better fit than Derek Broussard was. Um, I think that you know a lot of those guys will come, will bounce back, and, and should play better. And I think that we you know with a summer to figure it out the rangers will play better defensively around their net um, and they will figure a way to use their speed better um, but these are a lot of ifs i think that they could be a better team this season i could have a better season this season i don't think they're one of the favorites as they maybe were going into last season but there's a pretty good chance they'll have a better record 
Awesome stuff. We really appreciate your insight. That's Rick Carpinello of the Journal News and now the Bergen Record. I'm sure we'll touch base during the season, Rick. We really appreciate it. I look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Rick. All right, good stuff from Rick there, Kevin. Uh, and I think it's a good segue to the to the next half of the podcast here. If you if you're looking at, I mean, we talk about the Rangers. I think they've had a good off season. If you're looking at one team or maybe a few teams slash a few moves that you've really liked um, this off season, which ones are standing out to you? Well, uh, the team that I really like uh, the best, and and frankly, I'm I'm surprised a bit because I I just had sort of lost faith in the Montreal Canadiens, and I just have really liked what they've done in the off season. And obviously, uh, the key for the Canadians is is that by all uh, accounts, uh, you know, Carey Price is healthy and going to be ready uh, to uh, uh, compete uh, and and you know play his normal sixty to sixty five games. But you know, if you look at what Mark Bird has done in the offseason in terms of, I know he's taken criticism for the long-term impact of the Sioux ban for Shea Weber, but in the short run, that, that Weber trade will help the, the Canadians because it's going to make them harder to play against, which is one of the objectives. He fits better in the Tarion uh, system. He, you know, he's intimidating presence. He has a big shot. Um, he'll, you know, he'll hammer the puck on net. Uh, but also, I like the fact that they've, they've added Andrew Shaw, who's another player who I think is very, very difficult to play against. He's very, very feisty. Uh, and I think they had trouble getting the net. Andrew Shaw has no trouble getting to the net. I think that pushes them to a higher level as, as, uh, as well. And then, you know, the Radulov uh, situation. And uh, some people are comparing this to the Semin experiment, which obviously didn't work off work out. I, I think this is a completely different situation. You know, Semin's uh, production uh, declined uh, at the NHL level, and we all watched that. Radulov has been a very productive player uh, in the KHL, and he's 30 years old. He's in the prime of his career. Um, you know, whatever off-ice issues he had, you would think the maturity that he now has um, will have uh, uh, pushed them uh, to them being no longer an issue. So um, I, I like the Canadians. I, I, I think they're a real factor now in the uh, Atlantic Division. I think they're a playoff team, and I think you won't want to play them in the playoffs now because of you know adding Shea Weber and uh, Andrew Shaw to already Brendan Gallagher. So I think their offense will be a little bit better, and I think their defense will be more uh, the way that uh, Tarion wants it to be. I mean, you look at their offseason, a lot of uh, Rick kept talking about them, the people are into those advanced stats. They didn't really think they were, you know, moving, uh, getting Weber and shipping out Subban. But then you look, like you're saying, it's almost like maybe they won't be the, the elite team in the in the regular season, but they will become hard to play against. But Kevin, to me, and I know you'll agree, the key is the health of Carey Price. And from what you know, is he is he going to enter uh, training camp? Is he fully healthy now? What's his What's the latest with him? Yeah, f- absolutely. I mean, that's the the word is is that he's ready to go, and that that the way they played it last season when they were it seemed to be conservative um, in uh, allowing him more time to recover. Well, that's probably going to pay off this season to be sure. That uh, you know everyone's uh, projecting that he's just going to be the Carey Price of old, and the only concern I would have is. Is that you know obviously he missed uh, 
the better part of a season. So, you know, that's a long time to go without playing. But, you know, Price was, uh, you know, the MVP the last time we saw him playing on a regular basis. And there's no reason to believe that he's not going to be uh, that dominant. So I, you know, with Petrie taking a step up, uh, you know, defensively since he's arrived in Montreal, I, I think this team is uh, uh, is much better than people think it is. Uh, you know, my concern about it was their offense and the fact that they were not difficult to play against. And I think they've addressed both of those. Kevin, one of the teams whose off seasons that I really liked, and I'm curious to see what you think, is the uh, Florida Panthers. They are pretty active, and it was not only active in, in shipping out and adding new players, it was also keeping their core pieces there. Last year they finished with 103 points. They lose in the first round of the playoffs. But I think there's this, this team is one of uh, maybe a th- group of three or four in the East where I can say that they're in the upper echelon of the East. They they lose Kulikov in a trade to the Sabres. Then they add Keith Yandel, Jason Demers, and James Reimer. So right then, right there, their defense has pro- has gotten better. And Goodbranson is also um, gone. They re-signed Riley Smith. They re-signed Vincent Trocek. And they re-signed Aaron Ekblad, who's going to become... If he's not already one of the best defensemen in the game, and all these all these uh, signings are not really crazy dollar or term amounts. I mean, you're getting Ekblad at eight years, seven and a half million um, annual uh, average annual value. There, uh, I look at them and I just say, you know what? They've kept the, their young pieces there. They they made a trade today. Um, you could probably speak to it better than me. They trade Kraus, who was considered a top prospect, and uh, Boland, and they get a second and third round pick. I believe that was a deal, right, Kevin, to the Coyotes? Yeah, I mean, you know, this this is clearly a salary uh, dump, uh, you know, essentially to clear up cap space for the Panthers. They've given up a good prospect in Kraus. Now, you know, this is a guy that was taken in the first round, but even when he was drafted, people viewed him as not a definite top six performer that maybe it was a guy who was going to play on the third line perhaps the second line you know he's just going to be a hard working gritty uh big size forward um who's going to play with a lot of heart so you know from both teams perspective from the panthers perspective it's not like they're going to give up a superstar um and from the uh, coyotes perspective this is a guy who's going to play in the nhl and might play for a, a long period of time and you know you never know i mean he could develop into a star player but from the panthers you know they they get rid of Boland's salary um which was uh you know dr- a drain on their uh salary cap and the coyotes um because uh the, the the contract is guaranteed won't have to actually pay the salary um and it doesn't matter that it's on their cap hit because they don't go all the way to the ceiling anyway so this is another indication that uh, uh john chica the young general manager of the coyotes you know how progressive he is he's found a way to make his team better um by not giving up anything and actually adding uh an uh, an asset in kraus but from as you mentioned, you know, this is Tom Rowe. You know, among their many changes is the fact that uh, Dale Talon, who, uh, you know, had built this team into a, a contender, has sort of been pushed upstairs. And now Tom Rowe has taken over, and he's really made his mark, as you said. I, I'm a little concerned about the defense just because I think it's a little bit harder to read um, because, you know, we got Kulikov and Goodbranson and Campbell moving out, and we have. Uh, um, uh, Yandel Demers coming in. Yeah, Yandel and Demers coming in. So, you know, uh, how that's all going to sort of fit together. But the the key in all this is the most important guy in that defense is Aaron Ekblad. And, you know, he's 
um, set to go. They've got all their young players, as you mentioned, locked up. And that was a very important aspect of their offseason is, is they're not worried about where their uh, uh, future is going to be because they've got all the guys t- uh, tied up. And Yager's coming back as well. So, uh, And he was their, uh, you know, their leading point guy last year. So you know, this is a, uh, a team that I think is going to make a decent run. And I think the only thing that would worry about uh, worry me about them, and and I guess that's the cost of locking up your core pieces, and making some moves here, is that they don't really seem like they have a lot of minor league depth now. You know what I mean? A lot of their young guys are in the NHL, so if you know losing Kraus, who I think was considered one of their top prospects, um, you know I don't think the farm system was that strong to begin with, and now it's even thinner. Uh, Kevin, final few minutes here. I know you're going to be out there. You're going to be following Team USA. You're going to be covering the World Cup. I'm just curious, what are you most looking forward to about this tournament? Because it's something that we haven't seen in, in a, you know, some time here, the World Cup. Well, two things. Um, you know, one, I, I think the international component of it, we all just have finished watching the Olympics, and I think the nationalism uh, aspect of, of Olympic competition has never been higher, and I think the same will be true, you know, in this World Cup. Uh, I, you know, I think, you know, Canada versus U.S., you know, Sweden coming in. I think Sweden's a terrific team and trying to slay the, uh, the, dra- the dragon in the dragon's lair, trying to knock off Canada. I think that place will be hopping when they play, and Sweden's a very good team. And then the second thing I'm really curious about is how these, this young gun team, the 23-and-under group from North America, how they're going to fare. Incredible talent on this team, just, just incredible skill with uh, you know, the players that they have on this team, all the young you know, guys, uh, you know, Dylan Larkin and Connor McDavid and you know, Jack Eichel and you know, the list, Johnny Goudreau, the list goes on and on. And yeah, but how will they do? I mean, to me, this is almost a litmus test for the sort of idea that we've had it for years in the NHL that experience is crucial. Well, we'll see. I mean, if if, the, if everyone's right on that, then this team should not perform well, even though they're highly talented, because they don't have guys that have been around the block. But if it does play well, I wonder if that'll have any long-term impact on the way general managers view team building. I mean, you know, are we overrating uh, experience uh, when the game is played the way it is now, which is at such a high tempo? Kevin, I got two questions but to finish this off for you. I'm going to treat this a little bit like uh, I'm interviewing you because I really haven't covered international hockey. I've always seen it from afar. But what's your, t- what's your, the, the, your, uh, your gauge on how the interest level of this tournament among the casual fans, among the hardcore fans? Well, I, I, I've never felt uh, if the intention of this is to somehow replace the Olympics, uh, I don't think that's ever going to happen in terms of the amount of exposure that the sport is going to get. In the Olympics, casual fans tune in to watch. You know, you, you don't care anything about wrestling or boxing or synchronized swimming or whatever else is. But, you know, if there's USA is competing, you, you, you tune in. And same is true in hockey. When you're in the Olympics, you've got non-hockey fans that tune in. I don't think we're going to have any non-hockey fans uh, tuning in to watch uh, uh, the World Cup, but I think the you know the normal regular hockey pan- fans, even the casual hockey fans, will watch this just because this is best against the best. So I think it's going to be a great tournament, and I think the hockey fans are going to enjoy it. There's been a lot of history dating back to the Canada Cup. Uh, era when we've seen just tremendous hockey at these tournaments and uh, uh, I think there's potential for that here so for that reason I think it can be a you know a great tournament but I, I just don't see it as moving 
too much farther beyond the you know scope of hockey fans. We might pick up some new fans, but I don't I can't imagine it's going to be overwhelming. And in the wake of uh, some guys dropping out for in order for them to get to full strength for the start of the NHL season, guys like Nicholas Cronwall and uh, Duncan Keith, Kevin, how much? I mean, I, I had a few friends texting me about saying that you know players don't really care that much about it because we're here, we are. The tournament's about you know about to start. Training camps are about to start, and you have some of the best players already dropping out. Is that true? I don't really think it's true. I think guys still really do care about it. What do you think? Well, I, I think they all love playing international hockey. I don't think it has the same cachet as playing Olympic hockey, just because it. You know, we haven't had it around all that much. Um, you know, it's we're just now sort of getting back in the rhythm of having this on a regular basis. But I think all the people that have pulled out have been legitimate. You know, injury concerns. Although here, here's the question I would ask. You know, would Cronwell have played if it was the Olympics as opposed to the World Cup? Um, you know, I, I can't answer that. Like, obviously, he's concerned that you know he needs to make sure that he's ready to go at the start of the season. He had injury problems last year. Duncan Keith's in the same boat as well. Uh, but he's been always been a guy that's wanted to compete in international hockey. So I'm going to believe that uh, you know Keith uh, really felt like it would be, be in his best interest and the Blackhawks' best injury if he interest if he just uh, you know waited and started the NHL season. And obviously Ben's case, Jamie. Been in Canada, uh, and we knew right from the beginning that he wasn't going to be able to play, mm-hmm. you know, after because of his injury. So, you know, we'll have to watch if we move closer and we start seeing more and more players. And again, if it if it comes out of nowhere, uh, then maybe maybe there is something to that. But I think for the most part, uh, players are very interested in playing in the World Cup of Hockey. Awesome stuff. Well, the podcast is back up and running again, right, Kevin? Absolutely, we'll every be, week. We'll be, we'll be back next week, hopefully the same time, Thursday, Friday. And, uh, and we'll, we'll talk more about the offseason, you know, preview the World Cup. Uh, it's been a pleasure to get back on the, on the ground again. Kevin, we'll, uh, we'll talk next week. And to all our listeners, be sure to check us out on usatoday.com, on SoundCloud, and download and rate us on iTunes. 